have I told you that I have aspirations of being the next Spice Girl? Um, we've got, we've got, what are they? Ginger Spice? Cinnamon Spice? Cinnamon sugar spice. spice? I think I want to be Turmeric Spice. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to The Hobby Shelf. This is a podcast where we talk about books, board games, and really just anything we're interested in. This is episode 19, and today we're taking a deep dive into Dungeons and Dragons. I'm Brenna, a freelance editor and an avid reader. And I'm Oren, a fake English major with a concentration in board games. We also have a special guest today, Evan. Hello, hello. (laughs) Why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Evan Lewis, a real English major. (laughs) (laughs) I... Known these guys for quite a while, and I've also been playing Dungeons and Dragons for quite a while. Uh, hence, why I'm here. Uh, recently, I've been a part of the University of Calgary Dungeons and Dragons Club, and that's about where my experience ends. Yeah. <laughs> and we've mentioned Evan on the podcast before. Absolutely. A few yeah. times. Yeah. I don't know if we've mentioned him by name, but we have mentioned him, or at least his likeness, oh boy. several times. <laughs> All good things. <laughs> all good things. So, I'm pretty sure all good things. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot right away. <laughs> okay. I mean, I kind of warned you beforehand, but what is your favorite book and your favorite board game? Okay. Um, favorite book, probably The Ocean at the End of the Lane uh, by Neil Gaiman. It's a one of his shorter books, I think, and it really hit me hard emotionally the first time I, I read it. Kind of talks about childhood a lot which uh is just a a horrifying hellscape um (laughs) that's one way to describe childhood yeah uh favorite board game uh probably wingspan not quite as much of a uh horrifying hellscape but um yeah great game i I think you guys introduced me to it and uh sherry and i have been playing a a lot of it hours and hours good yeah we are (laughs) I'm ecstatic to hear ecstatic <laughs> to hear that because yeah I don't know that just feels good yeah no I, I, am... I think you guys have talked about it in the past on this so many oh, yeah. times I think oh, yeah. we mentioned it on over half our episodes <laughs> probably it's um, amazing it's I've, unbelievable I've read Ocean at the End of the Lane mm-hmm. and the only thing I remember from it I remember there's something about birds I think um, is there something about birds I in think it? you might be confusing that with Wingspan the board game. <laughs> <laughs> Which does have a lot to do with birds. Quite possibly. So much clipping. I'm so sorry, guys. Okay. Um, no, but I the one thing I remember like really well is there's a line about how the I think it's the protagonist realizes that his dad has been eating burnt toast not because he likes burnt toast but because he doesn't want anyone else to have to eat it. Yes. Yeah. I, I forgot about that. It's really interesting the the way the protagonist kind of relates with his parents because his dad is cheating on his mom with their babysitter who is also a horrifying uh, Lovecraftian entity from another world kind Whoa. of thing. I don't remember any of this. Yeah. Um <clears throat> and I don't know, she's she's more or less this representation of a loss of innocence and uh he has to go through this whole experience of growing up and then coming back to the, his house later on in life there's a moment where he realizes that he's forgotten all of this and he's gonna forget it again and yet it shaped the person who he is today it's i don't know it's it's fascinating and it's really d 
deeply emotional, I think. I'm going to have to read this again. I have it. It's on my <laughs> Sounds shelf. Sounds like the favorite book of an English major. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I got a lot out of it. That's really good. Thank you for being so vulnerable, I guess. That's, <laughs> that's something that I feel, I feel like I know you better now. I don't know. Yeah. That's really cool. I feel like I know you pretty well before this, but like that's, uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that. So, um, we usually start the podcast with a, what have you been reading? What have you been playing mm-hmm. lately? So how do you guys want to do this? Let's start, I guess you can ask one of us, what have you been playing or reading lately? Sure. And then we'll move on. Uh, Oren, what have you been reading lately? Uh, I'm still reading Obsidio. Okay. Tell me about that. Uh, Obsidio for you, Evan, is a book where... Uh, it is the third in the trilogy of the Illuminae Files. Okay. Which is a... Uh, who's it Who's it by? Jay Kristoff and Amy Kaufman. Jay Kristoff. And Jay Kristoff recently, we just picked up another book by Jay Kristoff. Mm-hmm. We picked up Nevernight. Nevernight, yeah. Okay. Uh, more edgy. More edgy fantasy. <clears throat> yeah. In Nevernight. But Illuminae Files is kind of like, it's a young adult fiction sci-fi or maybe possibly speculative fiction would you call it it's sci-fi okay it's sci-fi okay um it's about people in space who are running away from a essentially genocide happening Mm -hmm. on their home planet the books are really interesting though because they're not told in like normal narrative style they're written as like a dossier so it's like a collection of um, like text conversations and um, transcribed security video. I like that a lot. And, yeah, yeah. So it's really cool. cool. Yeah, the um, the book itself kind of through that it's actually a narrative element because you kind of have this idea. It's all told technically in past tense. We have an idea that somehow it ends not like necessarily well, but mm-hmm. in a way where at least the files hopefully get out. You think because it's right. kind of presented to you as if you are reading this. Thing that has happened, and and you are reading through the files, the Illuminate files. You know sure. that someone has put these files together with a specific purpose. Yeah, but they don't tell you what it is. Like you don't find out until the last book. You don't huh. find out the purpose and who is putting the files together, but you do. It's really well written. Is there like narrative interjection where this person who is putting all the files together, they kind of step in and make comments on things so you get an idea of who yes. they are? Yes. Actually, I well, love this. Well, not really. Not in the first one. I Well, I think I think it shows up more the further on you go. Okay. It um, does, yeah. But okay. I actually love this because it is clearly like you find out later through this, before you find out who is writing the files, you find out through this that, well, first of all, it's a team of people and each person reacts to certain things in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you actually, like, for example, say it's, they'll be like analyst ID, blah, 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 blah. It's just a bunch of numbers. Does that make sense? Sure. And the analysts themselves would be like, this is disgusting. I'm going to go throw up now. Huh. Like, whereas some other ones will be like, <laughs> uh, will have like specific nicknames for characters when you're watching them. And it's, it's just kind of, it's really cool. So you can tell who they are by voice more than, more yeah. than anything. Yeah, you, you kind of get the distinction between multiple people before you know there are multiple people huh. through the voice of the analysts. There's also <clears throat> an AI who is intelligent and almost has feelings. Okay. And interacts with the characters in very interesting ways, but you also get to see like the AI's transcripts of what it's thinking. Hmm. It's very interesting. It, it, and it's... It's a part of the files themselves, or it has its own chapters, its own... It's part separate. of the files. It's That's part of the files. Yeah. Like, they have gone into the AI's memory and taken these 
not necessarily transcripts. I don't know what you would call them. Just data files mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. have put them in. I, I like that interjection a lot because it's a lot of um, a lot of what happens in, in English. I'm sure you can kind of attest to where people are responding to ideas that have already been put down on paper. And so you mm-hmm. get this idea of a strand of people responding and reacting to each other. Yeah. Yeah, it's I might cool. have to give this a try. I think it is really good in the beginning. I think it's not bad at the end. Okay. Like, I, I, I would give Illuminae Files, the book itself, uh, going with Brenna's Goodreads ratings here, I would give it, like, a 4 out of 5. Sure. I would give Obsidio maybe a 3 out of 5. And I think Gemina, which is the second book, I liked it, but it was kind of the downhill point for me. Okay. Like, at the end of it, it was like, I feel like... I had not a lot of steam to go into Obsidio. Okay. So it's, I think it, I think that's a common thing for a lot of trilogies and a lot of books. Illuminate was really good, though. Yeah. And I think Strongly recommend it. with how you read, you could get through the series really fast. Yeah. If that's you're not fair. me, you'll get through books <laughs> fast. They're not massive tomes. I mean, they're bigger, but it's not a lot of text because it is files. So okay. a lot of it is, like, illustration. There's oh, not a whole lot of text Because, like, some of, it, some of it does have images often the images are um yeah i'm not gonna spoil anything sure images are jpegs it's almost like okay yeah oh that's really interesting sometimes there are drawings and i don't know it's it's interesting Mm -hmm. um there's a a fantasy series called uh stormlight archives i don't know if you guys have I don't think I've heard Her, of this one. I recognize the name for some reason, but I have no idea. Uh, Brandon Sanderson, the author, is massive in uh, like fantasy mm-hmm. communities. Yeah. And one of the things that he does with this series to help with the, I don't I can't find the word, like the, the reality of this world that he's creating. He, he has this, this one character who does a lot of sketches. They'll describe in the chapter what she's sketching, and then at the end of the chapter, you'll get to see the sketchbook page. Oh, that's awesome. So it gives you a, an image of what these things that she's seeing in the world are like, and it gives it that reality. Again, there's a better word for that that I can't think of off the top of my head, but yeah. That's cool. That's that is neat. very cool. Is verisimilitude the word? Yes. Yeah, that is what I was looking well, for. How did you come up with that? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. Because I'm a fake English major. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just picked up, um, what is it called? Skyward and mm. what's the other one? Star. Star something. Seer? Star. I don't know. Anyway, we just picked up those two. Mm. They're Brandon Sanderson's YA sci-fi series. Yeah, that's right. It's so, fairly new, I believe. Yeah, mm. the second one was just released. Yeah. Okay. And you haven't gotten a chance to crack I haven't read it yet. yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me know. Yeah, yeah. we'll do. So that's what I've been reading, and I've been reading that for a while. The next one that I want to move on to, if Brenna doesn't have any objections, as in other books that she recommends for me, the next one that I do want to read is actually the Brandon Sanderson oh, really? novel. Oh, really? I, I think I think I'd like to read that next. Yeah, go for it. Um, but I have to finish Obsidio first. <laughs> and my lack of finishing it has very little to do with the fact that the book is less good than the Illuminate Files. It has more to do with the fact that I just don't have a lot of time mm-hmm. to dedicate to books and oftentimes when it gets to the point where I could read it's like could read or I could do a million other things that I currently have to do <laughs> like prep for a D&D campaign <clears throat> exactly very important exactly very very important it is I mean I went into this uh for context we recently began a new D&D campaign with several people I invited I think eight people I know that makes me 
Just a real wild child. Yeah, a real, a real, uh, maybe naive, believing that I could run it for that many people. Makes you optimistic. Optimistic? I don't know. Anyways, I invited all these people and I said, show up if you want. It's drop in, drop out. We're going to do it every so often. And uh, the goal for me was to prep less. I think I've prepped more for this one than I have for any other D&D game. <laughs> oh, that's not necessarily true. I've just done a lot of work for it. Yeah. I'm, I'm very excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Um, the first session, I think, went swimmingly. Yeah. Uh, if but I had to pick a word. Swimmingly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, no one did swim. No, we'll get Not there, yet. I'm sure. We're yeah. currently on a boat, people, so it still could happen. Mm. Water. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, Brenna, what have you been reading lately? What have you been playing lately? Uh, playing? Nothing. Oof. I haven't played any games since our last episode. That's so sad. Which was actually yesterday, so it's not that sad. <laughs> no, it's not sad, but you also hadn't played games last episode. No, I had. I played Wingspan. Oh, yeah, okay. And D&D. Right. All right. I was yeah. there. Yeah, D&D. And right now I am reading Living a Feminist Life by Sarah Ahmed, which Sarah Ahmed is a feminist academic. Okay. She actually, I don't think, works in the in the university world anymore, but she's still does her own studies and writes books. Mm -hmm. So, and I first heard about her on Secret Feminist Agenda. Mm. So, what is that? That is, that a, is podcast. a podcast. Okay. It is Jinx. a podcast <laughs> <laughs> by um, Hannah McGregor, who is in, I think she works in the publishing department right now at SFU, but she talks to different feminists and, about different topics. It's really mm. interesting. I love it. Yeah, and the, the book itself is a similar thing? The book is Living a Feminist Life. Mm. So it is kind of Ahmed's commentary on what it means to be a feminist and how you practice that, how you live that out. That's so, really interesting. Yeah, her phrase that she coined kind of that I love is feminist killjoy, <laughs> which is based on the idea that if you're a feminist, you basically kill everyone's joy because you bring up problematic things and make everyone else have to think about right. things they don't want to think about. One night I came over and Brenna was like, can I just tell you how happy this book's ma books make book makes me feel? I just feel so validated. Like, like there's chapters in here, like, you know, like the idea where like, it's like, why can't we just watch the show? Why can't we just enjoy it? You know? And then and she's like, well, because these are problems that are relevant and valid regardless of whether or not I bring them up or not. And she knows it. Ahmed knows it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was like the idea that like, just because you point something out as problematic doesn't mean that it wasn't problematic before you pointed it out. But oftentimes people associate you people pointing think, it out. Mm. Yeah, people think the problem doesn't exist until someone brings it up. Because right. they're they're ignorant of the problem. Yeah. So mm. if for them, it isn't a problem until someone brings it up. But the reality is that is problematic. You're just educating people and allowing them to know it later. Hence the feminist killjoy. I'm absolutely on board with the whole like interrupting shows, interrupting whatever in the middle of it to say... <laughs> look, there's something wrong with this. <laughs> we need to talk about this and then we can go back to the thing maybe, or maybe we'll put it down and never look at it again. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's necessary sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's affirmation, this book. Like it's very... Basically, it's like an yeah. exploration of Ahmed's own journey into feminism, okay. like how she discovered she was a feminist and then how she lives that out now. Okay. So yeah, I'm finding it really enjoyable. So it is affirming for you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what does her journey look like? I don't know a lot of it yet because I'm not very far in. Oh, okay. All I know is that she, I don't really remember, one of her parents is white and I do believe the other is from Pakistan. And so her journey is as a 
lesbian woman of color who is also a very outspoken feminist. So she's faced a lot of backlash from people in her life and a lot of, I guess she just, even in the university system, met with things that she didn't like and so she had to leave that sphere. Okay. So I'm not really sure. I'm hoping she'll tell me more as I keep reading. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And what about you? What have you been reading or playing lately? Oh, boy. Um, I'm back in classes. Uh, so what I've been reading lately is uh, Jonathan Swift. Don't remember what era he's from, but he's a poet. He's a moron. I hate him. <laughs> uh, I think everything that he writes is just garbage. Did he write Gulliver's Travels? I don't know. I think he did. Yeah. I think that's where I know him from. Yes. Have you read Gulliver's Travels? A long time ago. Yeah. And I don't remember very much about it. I'm mostly going off of the poetry that we, I've been reading, which is um, Description of a City Shower, which is about London in in a downpour in his time. And it's very, I don't know, that one I didn't have as much of a problem with, but it's still very lofty, still very, like, he sees himself as superior to all these people living in everyday life and is just pointing out all the problems with everything. So we got to talk about misanthropy a little bit in that class, which was nice. I have no idea what that means. Kind of a <laughs> like a general hatred of, of mankind, ah. which we all we all have a little bit. But Jonathan Swift, he just likes to talk about it. And yeah. that's unacceptable. <laughs> um, yeah, we can all we can all hate something as long as we're silent about it. Exactly. <laughs> That's, uh, going back to what we were talking about before, yeah, that's what you were, you were going for? Yeah, definitely. Everyone needs to sit down and shut up about the problems. Yeah, that's um, the solution. Yeah. Uh, he's also super misogynistic, I think. We read The Ladies' Dressing Room, which is about a man going into a woman's dressing room and discovering that she has all of these cosmetic things and is discovering evidence of the fact that she's a human being, that she has sweat and that she has grease in her hair and that sort of thing. And it would be good if it wasn't written in such a way that Swift seems to be suggesting that the woman is the problem for hiding these aspects of herself. There's mm. a sense that the deception is the real crime here, not this guy stealing away into her dressing room and, and snooping about. Yeah, mm. yeah that's problematic. Mm. <laughs> I love misogyny. I'm sure so you do. <laughs> it makes me so happy inside. I'm just a male <laughs> fan. You know, when I hear about it, I just, I, I feel sick. <laughs> What a positive feeling. Mm -hmm. yeah. So positive. that's what I've been reading. What have I been playing? No, I got nothing. D&D. D&D. I guess that's my answer. D&D. Uh, most recently I've been playing D&D and as much of it as I can fit into my schedule. Yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. That's a perfect segue into the body of our episode, mm -hmm. which is a deep dive into D&D. Yeah. So I am the least experienced player here. So I'm going to let you two kind of carry the conversation. Sure. Why don't we start with an explanation of what D&D is for people who don't know? Boy, it's uh, when you are a kid, you go and you play 
house and you have this entire world that you build up in your head and you go into that world and you mess around in it and none of the things that you do in that world actually happen they all happen inside your imagination but it's it's a game in which you make believe and D&D is kind of the same thing where you go into a fantasy world usually something like Lord of the Rings and mess around and uh, there's constraints on it a little bit there are rules which is what makes it a game rather than just an exercise in improvisation yeah but it's more or less the same principle it's a, a chance at creativity it's a chance at imagination it's a chance at storytelling in a way that people don't do a lot of right now i don't think most storytelling has a lot of authorial intent behind it we look at who the director of a show or a movie was we look at who the author of a book was even as far as board games go more and more it's leaning <coughs> towards who was the person who created this who was the auteur who had this great idea and put it down onto paper D&D is it's collaborative fundamentally you have one person who's describing the world and explaining it, but nothing happens within the story unless you have at least one other person sitting across from you, talking back to you, and the two of you, or more, moving together within this this fictional world. Mm-hmm. I agree with everything Evan has said. I think it. I think that D and D is a. It is at its heart a game of storytelling. It's like sitting down with your friends and saying, "Let's." tell a story and that's the game like and i think that this relates most to like i haven't taken an improv class but it relates most to games that you might play to warm up in improv class or even literally just doing improvisation as drama and treating it as something where it's okay um there is no goal because there isn't really a goal in Dungeons and Dragons. The goal is to create a story. So I agree with everything that Evan said. I think that the main, the at the heart of any tabletop game is the idea of creating a shared story. And I think that, that if you think about it that way, that the goal is to create a shared story, you're just going to be a better player and a better DM regardless because... I think it's easy for DMs to think this is my story and I'm allowing people to come into it and that's not the way it is. And I think it can be easy for players to think this is my game and I'm going to Mm -hmm. maximize my game. Yeah. As opposed to, which that can work. If the DM thinks that this is their story and the players think that this is their game, it can maybe work, but it's never going to reach the heights that I think a game game of D&D that people bring... I am coming together to work and create a story with people. I don't think it'll reach the heights that that, that sort of thing creates. Because that is what the heart of it is, a tabletop role-playing game, at which D- Dungeons & Dragons is. I'm just going to interject quickly. So you keep referring to a DM. So the DM is the person who basically sets up the world that everyone else is playing in. They're the one who will describe the situation that you're going into and what everything looks like. And then, I guess, would you say they're like the authority figure? They're they're a referee. They're the person who adjudicates the rules when there are arguments, when people can't quite decide, or when the rule book that you have in front of you doesn't quite cover what a person wants to do within their, their freedom. Yeah. 
I think the role of the GM or the DM. So D- DM means dungeon master. GM means game master. I think that the term game master came into effect because people thought that DM just sounded a little too kinky. Um, <laughs> but the role of the DM is to really, I agree with what I've been said about adju- like adjudicate when there are rules, misconceptions or rules, disagreements. But I think the 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 most important thing that a DM needs to do is to set the scene. That's the role of the DM. The DM says, this is what's what the stage is, essentially. They they are saying you're standing like if I'm if I were to DM literally setting on sitting on a stage, I would be like, you're standing on a stage made of creaky old wood, and the curtains are about to draw back. The crowd is sitting. The main character, Brenna, walks on stage and Evan is in the crowd walking through the back of the room. Go. What do you do? Like, that is the role of the DM. It's to say, here's the world. And the DM also, like, populates the world, right? They're in charge of playing the NPCs, which are non-player characters. For the most part, players do play a single figure in the world, and everything else, including the other people that exist in that world, are run by the the dungeon master as well. And I think it's important to, like, you can think of it as the DM is, like, for example, I think the the important thing when you're thinking about that, though, is it's all part of the stage. Like, those characters aren't the DM's characters. Those characters, I think, like, it's okay for a DM to have a character in a game that they can express their feelings through and create and have that part of the storytelling. But I think it's more important for the DM to have these characters are here to make this stage feel more real and to bring something to the stage, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, at least that's my opinion. I, I don't know if that's 100% true for all DMs. Uh, I, think that, I think that's fair. But I think that's, that's what every DM strives to do, is to create the stage. And you can make your stage as detailed or as undetailed as you like. And how detailed or how undetailed you want that to be actually doesn't depend on what you want. It depends on what the players want. Because you together are all creating the story. So if the people, other people in the story need more detail in order to create the story, in order to draw on that and do that with their characters, or do that and to create story with their characters, create narrative, then you might need more more detail. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be a lot either. I, I definitely, I think there are DMs out there who put a lot of rich detail into the world, but when... I first introduced this game to Rachel, my sister, who has been playing with us recently Mm -hmm. in our games and is brilliant. I think she's very, very good at D&D. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. From Uh, my experience. She, uh, I I showed her one of the maps that I had set up for a game I was running. And I said, okay, so here are the different parts of this world that I've drawn out. And I showed her uh, a library and she asked, okay, if I were to go into that library in the game, could I just sit there and read every single book that was in that library? Could I make my character do that? And the answer is yes, even if it's a terrible idea and wouldn't really (laughs) accomplish anything. Yes, you, you can do that. And even just having that single detail of there is a library in this world, immediately there's that spark of what can I do within that space that I've extrapolated and i think um like as far as books go um 
not quite so much with um, with movies and with TV, but I think with books, there's very much this space in between the author and the reader where you are putting words down on a page and someone is going to be reading those and they're making something from that. They're making an mm -hmm. image in their mind. There was nothing concrete until that spark happened between these these two neurons of humanity firing <laughs> towards each other you nice get that space in between and i think that's what's so fundamentally incredible about dungeons and dragons is you sit down and you have four or five or nine people sitting <laughs> around a table if you're uh, a wild child <laughs> and uh you just have all of these brains sparking at the same time to try to create something new. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I think I want to like just add to what you said, like the detail that I was talking about, the detail is like your job as the DM is to spark that mm -hmm. in the players. So the detail that you present only needs to go as far as it takes to get the players to start having that spark so that they can take it from there. Does that make sense? It's like... Mm -hmm. They, if they have questions, that's when you add the detail. You don't necessarily need the detail. It helps. It creates verisimilitude, but it doesn't, it's not required. Anyways, I don't, what were we talking about? We were talking about what D&D is. we were talking is. about Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, thanks, Evan. <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks. No, um, that's, that's perfect, actually. Um, I want to ask you guys, both of you, because you have both been actually, a DM. Oh. Can, can I interrupt you? Yeah. What, what has your experience been so far with it? Because we've both been doing this for about the same length of time. Like, I think I did, I've done it for about seven years. I think you joined after the first year um, when we started doing Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. You've been doing this for how long? A year? now yeah i think well the first when did we do the first one it was about a year ago yeah i think yeah Honestly. i i had only done one before we started playing with you guys sure um that seems like enough experience to have like some opinions on what, what i it agree is, what it's like <laughs> what do you think um, of it so far i like D, D. my favorite part of it i guess is building and populating the world to me kind of i read D, &D as a story like mm -hmm. as a I guess as a book, because that's kind of more my experience. I like being able to have a goal in mind mm. with a player and then having the story build as there's interactions between different people and just kind of expanding on the world as everything builds up. Right. If that makes sense. I personally have a little bit of a problem with the role playing because I'm not like I was never, well, I was, I was in drama in junior high, but like I hated sure. it. And it's still something that I'm kind of navigating, especially I find the dynamic in different groups is so different. Absolutely. Because mm -hmm. I've played yeah. with three different groups now. The first one, I was not a big fan. <laughs> the second one was you guys when we did um, Odyssey of the Dragon Lords, which I loved sure. and really want to get more into because I think there's so much potential in that story. And also in the characters that you make. Like, I love my character mm. from that so much, and I want to keep going with her and see where she goes. And that's actually, I'm, I can't really talk about our current campaign because we've only done one. So I feel like For sure. we need to go through it more before I can have an opinion on it. But mm. yeah. yeah. No, I liked, I liked Odyssey of the Dragon Lords a lot. That was one that Oren was running, and it was kind of a Greek setting like it was mm -hmm. entirely greek entirely and 
everyone brought characters to the table that were really like deeply rooted in that world everyone had um gone through the the backgrounds that the book itself had provided and even though there wasn't a lot there um you Oren was able to take it and run with it and expand it into something that was a lot bigger and i don't know i think the characters really clicked like there were mm-hmm. a lot of really cool interactions and debates like we got into pacifism and violence we got into like loneliness and the need to have other people around you and that sort of thing and it was it was really good i liked it a lot no it's funny too with that campaign because we never actually got to the point where the adventure itself started yeah all of it all of it was prequel material that Orin had made based on what he knew about the adventure yeah so for context the odyssey of the dragon lords is actually an adventure book that you can go buy it was kickstarted about a year ago it's by um arcanum worlds i believe so yeah yeah um they kickstarted it i backed it and we started i was super excited about it i'm still super excited about the setting although currently we're playing in eberron because we're hoping that i didn't want to start another odyssey based or greek themed campaign until we could go back to uh until we could go back to that one Mm -hmm. honestly is what it was i never wanted to i didn't want to redo it but you can find this book online it's just a source book and it has a full adventure in it although what we did i i hadn't had any of the actual adventures stuff in fact i pretty much only had the player's guide which is essentially the thing that's full of players options which is i sent what i sent to you guys and i had the idea that there is the spark that starts the entire campaign of the actual of all the encounters that are in the book is that there is a prophecy that's going to happen and this prophecy leads people people everyone is part of the prophecy for some reason and that is actually part of your character in this book uh so all i knew about was the prophecy and what those prophecy options were for players and what all the player options were but i had no idea what that actually meant i think i think it was so this is something that i like i want to create that was the high for me creating like odyssey of the dragon lords felt like one of the best most cohesive and story-driven games i've ever run Mm -hmm. and i think one of the reasons why and this is just something that um i think is a downfall sometimes for some players in DD is that you really have to actually put the effort into having a reason for your character to be part of the party and part of like why are your characters working together and this is something that i've been actually asking people one-on-one in our group in our new group why is your character with the party and this is something Um, that i've noticed already that i have a problem with if people because obviously everyone's going to bring something different mm -hmm. to the game and people are going to put in differing amounts of effort but like if you just made a character for fun and you've got like no idea of their backstory or their motivation or like that kind of bothers me because i want it to be i want it to feel like a story do you know what i mean there's a lot of material out there and the general consensus on that is that you need to have an initial session where you sit down with everyone and you establish expectations, what the game is going to look like, what everyone needs to bring to the table. And some of the time, what it looks like is everyone coming to the table and saying, okay, we're going to write out a backstory beforehand for the character that we are bringing to the table. We're going to 
talk to the dungeon master running the game and we're going to figure out how they can implement that into their world and then we're going to go from there. At other tables, you're sitting down and you're saying, okay, I'm going to play this class. They're going to have these abilities. We're going to be fighting these kinds of monsters. It's going to be um, mostly combat, that sort of thing. People come from different backgrounds with D&D, and so mm -hmm. you do end up with a lot of groups when you bring a bunch of random people together where everyone is coming in with a very different idea of what they want to get out of it in their minds. And so I think that initial jumping off point where everyone understands like what the buy-in at the table is, how much are they going to have to invest in this experience to get the same thing as everybody else out of it is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is a mistake that I make quite often. Um, I, I didn't even do a session zero with Odyssey of the Dragon Lords, but because of the fact that I was essentially like, you guys all need this one thing that ties you all together, and it's the prophecy, essentially. You guys are all part of this, and you all need this to be part of your character. We ended up still having a very cohesive group, even if the group members didn't always get along, or and that, actually, I like that. I like having a little oh, bit yeah. of conflict in characters within the party. Um, I just thought that it was, um, like, there was a cohesive reason that everyone was there and this is something that i missed in the newest campaign we didn't really do a session zero i instead was just like hey we're doing this in eberron and i'm going to be adding norse mythology to it and then i was like make your characters essentially and a lot of people made characters three people originally made characters that i think that they thought about the world of eberron and how they would fit in eberron mm -hmm. three other people in this group didn't think about that when they made their characters. And now I need to, and that's not bad. Like, I'm okay with that. That's something that I did because I didn't say, this is your option. Do you understand what I'm saying? But now I, as the DM, have to find a way to create a plot hook that is strong enough to pull the group together. And I also messed up in my in my first initial group, uh, in my first initial thing, because I had this hilarious idea. I was like, I'll make them fight each other. This will be great. <laughs> great. Uh, they're all going to really bond after this. And then I didn't real what I didn't realize was I was actually just creating a session where, sure, it was going to be fine. It was going to be fun. But those bonds uh, and that thing that would create that bond between the group wasn't actually there. The, and it, it worked out, which is the great thing about D&D. The amazing thing about D&D is that it worked out. The group I now feel actually has reasons to travel together because they all, for some reason, are now in a spot where they look like literal, literal uh, criminals. They all except, look like criminals. Except my character, who is actually a criminal, <laughs> <laughs> is just going to peace out in the next episode. Episode? What do you call them? Session. 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 Okay. I mean, episode um, also works. She's going to peace out, though, because she you... she has no reason to and, stay with these people. But this is also because you decided that you wanted to make a character that actually made sense in the world rather but than... But that's because I feel like my character has no reason to be there. Mm. Like, it doesn't make any narrative sense for her to be there at all. So this is something that... I guess, what are we talking about when we're talking about this? Like, what are we addressing right now? I, I want to 
kind of talk a little bit about that idea that the the dungeon master has to be responsible for all of this. Well, I don't I, I don't think I'm responsible for all of it, but I do believe that I have a role to play. For sure. But at the same time, I I John, one of your friends who I met for the first time in this session, he and I were kind of sitting at opposite ends of the table and I got this feeling that we were both looking at the situation in the same way. We were both realizing at the same time, hey, we just spent an hour of playing fighting against each other, and now we have to sit down and have a conversation in character that is going to explain why we're going to stay together for the rest of the story. And the impetus was on us. It, it didn't... I, I kind of want to challenge your notion a little bit that that happened completely naturally. I think it happened because... Like, the two of us, and I think I think everyone else were, was kind of joining in and hopping on that idea after a bit. But, like, initially, we were sitting there and going, oh, we gotta pull this group together. We gotta figure out how we're all gonna stay together and move forward. That sort of thing. Very true. If I had all not you gotta had... Do, mm. All you gotta do is get yourself poisoned and then <laughs> yeah. get some other people to save you. Suddenly you're bonded. Exactly. I don't know if it would have worked out the way it had if you and... John had not been there because mm. you are both um, people who are willing to jump into the role playing in order to make things happen in a game. Mm. Um, and if you guys hadn't been there, it probably would have ended pretty badly. Oh, I don't I think, think it would have ended badly. I'm just, mm. I don't know. It was, it was neat to have that dynamic. I appreciated that dynamic is, yeah. is more what I was saying that people were sitting around that table and on the same wavelength, understanding what the story needed to move forward. Yeah, no, I and that's that's really a joy for me in D&D. I found that when I was learning to play D&D, I was extremely um I my character and I think I was known for this in the group for having essentially like my way or the highway moments where I would be like I wouldn't tell people that I wouldn't travel with them anymore, but I, this is a weakness of mine as a roleplay character, I would be very black and white. Like my character was a paladin and there were times when my players were literally dealing with demons and devils. And I would be like, no, this is not okay. Oh, or they would be like, we're gonna go work with the necromancer that killed your dead wife, Orin. And my character was literally like, I am not going to do this. Um, and, but one of my favorite moments in that thing was like, that was that those two moments kind of happened at different ends. One moment at the very beginning of the campaign, I'll, I'll describe this. This was the beginning of the campaign. My what's character. It, what's a campaign? Oh, I, I've yeah. never played Dungeons and Dragons yeah, before. Yeah, sorry. Um, so a campaign is essentially what, if you've ever played a legacy game, you're playing a campaign. But if you don't know what that means, a campaign is a, is a melding of multiple sessions that you play over a long period of time that create a cohesive game story. Um, it's just essentially a campaign is the collection of the sessions. So if sessions are like chapters, the campaign is the book. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so early on in the campaign of Pathfinder that I joined and started learning to play in, my character ran into this evil 
room, wiped off the disgusting bad runes with his cloak because he's an idiot and had to burn the cloak. Like, and that's, this is the kind of, this is how committed I was to making sure that my character was so black and white on these things that I literally, like, I loved that cloak. It was a cool cloak and it had literally nothing to do with it. It was just a lion cloak. I thought I was super cool for having it, but I was like, I have to burn this now because it's covered in evil demon stuff. And at, in the same breath, in the same cavern, I snapped a rod, almost killing one of our party members because I picked it up and I was like, I essentially was like, DM, I use my paladin ability to see if, if this is evil. And he was like, yes, it is. And I was like, well, and I broke this thing. And the reason that had even been there is because one of the other party members, I believe it was your character, wanted to become a necromancer. <laughs> Um, Why were you working together? Well, I didn't know that at the time. Like, my character had no reason to understand that his character wanted to be a necromancer. There was a ah. lot of lying that was happening there oh, at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, anyway, so <laughs> I snapped this rod, and this rod had been put there by the DM essentially as like a, I am catering to what you guys want by putting something in there that you will love and you will use. And I, my character just snaps it, and this evil dark energy spreads out we all have to make saving throws which for those of you who don't know what that is that's uh, essentially rolling a dice to decide if you are good enough at a succeeding a specific type of movement so in this case i believe it was a charisma saving throw or maybe it was a constitution saving throw it's it doesn't matter oh it was it was in pathfinder anyways it would have been a will saving throw is what it would have been yeah i think so yeah anyways we all make our saving throws one of the party members fails and drops dead <laughs> oh, that's so painful. And has to be brought back to life, which was just, I just felt so bad at that point. And that contrasted with, and the group was so angry at my character, right? Because I literally killed one of the characters. They should have been. I was being an idiot. I was being like, I'm a paladin. I'm cool and good. And you guys are all evil and I'm holier than thou. And then it's later on in the story. And we're all at this necromancer's town or a necromancer's like castle, essentially, because we've been invited to come to this necromancer's castle. In, because of this cosmic threat and he's essentially offering to join us or he's asking us to join him in fighting this cosmic threat and my character from the beginning is like i am not joining this guy there's no way and we get to the end and one of my favorite parts of this was the fact that even though all the other players had dealt with my bullcrap for so long of being so black and white about this they were like fine if you want us to not join this necromancer even though it is literally clearly the option that might lead to death in this scenario we will not do it for you. And Evan's character, again, ended up... It wasn't Evan's character originally, but Evan's character almost ended up dying because of that in that scenario. And I just loved that. I don't know. This is now a story of just me, how much I love D&D, but that was something that... <laughs> that is something that is amazing about D&D in that when you... When your players, even when they're not on the same mindset, they can work together to create the story regardless. So... Back to I, what I, I promise that this is related to what you're saying. But let me, like loop around a little bit back in the in the 80s when D&D was first becoming popular one of the things that propelled it to success was the satanic panic in which parents of these good american christian children they believed that dungeons and dragons was coming into their homes and it was corrupting the souls of their children. There was a lot of fear of demon worship, demon worship and this this idea that they would start to believe that they were these characters. They would start to like try to practice the magical abilities that their characters had and it was such a 
massive thing. There were book burnings, there were religious tracts that were published, and it's unbelievable. I've, I've, I've gone back and read some of these things that were published by the uh, uh, these these churches at the time, and they're they're wild. But there is that kind of kernel of like, okay, they have some idea of how the game is played. I wanted to kind of address that before I jumped into what I'm going to talk about next, because there is this idea that like playing as a fictional character has some kind of corrupting influence on a person's mind. It, it drags them away screaming to Satan and all that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> yes. But with your story, it's really interesting hearing how you, you're, you're using I to describe things that your character did. And like, no, 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 I'm not... Uh, the reason I wanted to start off with saying like how wild of an idea it was that these characters would be corrupting the people playing them is that I think the opposite effect happens when people sit down and play D&D. It's putting yourself actively into the mind of another person and sitting down and talking as that person to a group of people who are all pretending to be people that they are not. It's an exercise in empathy. It's an exercise mm -hmm. in care and respect and understanding and teamwork on a level that not a lot of other fiction really gets at. I think, I don't know, I, I think it's a game that if you play with people that you that you really trust that you really know well it can be a game that is and I'm, I'm gonna get sentimental again here but like i think it's it's about love it's about human connection it's a moment to recognize that we are these social creatures who need community who need people around us and the separation from yourself, stepping out of your own shoes and becoming someone else is a way into that. It's a doorway into that kind of empathetic mindset. That vulnerableness that you, yes. can, you can have sometimes, that you can't have in real life sometimes with, with people, even, even the people that you are closest with, that almost, that fact that you bring yourself to the game. And we, sorry, we talked about this, not this exact idea, but something similar to this in... Mm -hmm in how we experience stories. It was really early on when we first started the podcast. We mentioned it because we were talking about how D&D &D is probably, like, the most active form of storytelling. Mm -hmm. Because, like you said, like, there's a way that we experience this in D&D &D that you don't get that anywhere else, right? Like we said, Absolutely. the closest thing is maybe video games where you can, like, run around and kind of pick what you do, mm -hmm. but it's still not the same. Well, and I was I was also thinking when I brought that up, like, the, the idea, I think we touched on this, the idea that when you read... A character in a book, right? Mm -hmm. There are parts of that character that you didn't create, and you bring yourself to the character. Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, you experience that character, and in order for you to... And I, I remember talking about this. Like, in order for you to step out of your shoes, it's, it's, it's essentially something that you have nothing. No part of you is part of this. And you can step out of your shoes entirely into that book. Whereas in D&D... In order to do that, you have to be an incredibly good role player. But what happens generally is people explore aspects of themselves through their character. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, 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 you explore... Like, I'm not a person who goes around saying that the world is in black and whites. But I definitely wanted to, I guess, explore that. And I didn't think about that. 
when I started role-playing my character Kine, who was a paladin who believed the world was in black and whites. And by the time that he ended the game, he was no longer a black and white character mm-hmm. at all. Like he was just completely different. And I agree with Evan. It's a, it's a way for you to step into the shoes of someone who's like you, but slightly different. And you can, I mean, and if you get really good at it, maybe you can step into the shoes that of someone that is nothing like you at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can try to think about the how this person experiences it. But I think that requires incredible skill to role play. Because in order for you to remove yourself like that from an acting thing, like that's what actors are trained to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think something that really comes with D&D is the idea of not like, not necessarily acceptance of everything, but the idea of not immediately saying no. Like to... being more open-minded. Yeah. I'll, I'll kind of hop on that a little bit. I think that's where the um the game aspect of it becomes really important the is the acceptance side of things when i was younger quite a bit younger i would play star wars i would pretend to be a jedi knight or a sith lord and we would have toy lightsabers and we would run around and it would be it was dnd basically but because we had no restrictions I was a a garbage child, and I decided, well, no, my my character that I'm pretending to be, they just got killed. I just got poked in the chest with a plastic lightsaber, and that means that I'm dead, and I have to make up a new character. I don't want that to happen. So I stood up, I picked up my lightsaber again, and I went, I'm invincible. (laughs) Because there's no rules. There's no rules. There's nothing to stop you from saying that. And as far as D&D goes, the fact that you, your character can die, things can end, things can go badly at any moment because you're rolling a dice for the most part to determine whether something succeeds or fails. There are moments where you have to accept that failure is an option. It's a possibility. It's something that is inevitably going to happen to you. And it means that being okay with not immediately achieving your goals is fine. It's part of the journey. It's part of the story. It makes things richer and more interesting and I so agree exciting. with that. Mm-hmm, I, agree I so too. yeah, I so agree with that. When I started playing D anD D, I did not want to lose. I and I think that this is just something that a lot of new players go through. Like when you start playing D anD D, you don't want to. You don't want your. You don't want your stats to be bad. Like if I when I when I've rolled my character, <laughs> I feel so attacked right now. No, but this is <laughs> no. I'm saying this because this is something that I did. Like when I rolled my character, I was so tempted to be like, I don't actually have a ten in that because to me a ten. Oh my gosh, I'm mediocre. Can you believe it? I am the average person. No, I don't want to be an average person. I'm going to this to be not average. And it was so tempting for me to be like, ah, maybe I didn't roll that. But because of the fact that there is failure and because of the fact that you have to accept that, it makes things feel more real. And I think it makes, it's part of what makes the empathy and the other part of it more actually evocative of the real emotion. Mm -hmm. Because you are actually expressing real emotion when you play D&D. And that's because... D&D, like, you can be a really incredible role player 
and express these emotions. But you don't need to be an incredible role player to express these emotions and feel them. Because the fact that the dice are, there are elements to this game that are not in your hand means that you have to actually react to things happening. You'll, you'll feel the frustration of rolling poorly. Or and simultaneously, the character that you are playing just failed. And in that moment, the frustration across both worlds kind of it connects, regardless of who you are. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's the idea that, like, a character who's experiencing something horrible, say someone had something really bad in their backstory, like, because of the fact that the world feels the more, uh, gr- not gritty, but the more, the more the world feels real to the players, which I think the dice adds to, the better those players are going to be able to actually treat the other players and characters, sorry, at the table like they are actually experiencing that thing. And it allows you to step out and say, this is how my character would react. This is how I, this part of me would react to this. I think uh, there's one more thing that I wanted to say. And it's it's the idea that you you create this open-mindedness because the other thing about dice in D&D is that literally anything is technically possible. There's nothing stopping you technically from in the game from saying, I am going to go into that library and I'm going to read it. Or I am going to attempt to hop on a phoenix's back, carrying a flaming axe, and kill this god. There is nothing in the game or in the rules that say that you cannot do that. Instead it is, I want to do this, the DM says, you can try. And sure, the odds are stacked against you, but it makes it feel so much better when you do pull it off. It makes it so much better when that decision that you decided, that your character decided to commit to, actually happens. And I think at the root of all that, it kind of, it comes back to that that notion of investment, of, of buy-in. Like, you have to care about what's happening to some extent. There, I have definitely met people and I have definitely been the person who has come to a game of Dungeons and Dragons and just not had the, the push that it takes to really try it, to try to do it and get that response back from the game. Yeah. It, it, takes, it takes something out of you. You have to give something to get that back. It doesn't mm-hmm. happen automatically. I, I, I feel like I should address that and mention that. Yeah, yeah you do actually I have agree. to... I think it requires effort. Um, like, if you show up at the at the tabletop table, and you're not... The tabletop table? Yeah, the tabletop table. <laughs> if you show up at the tabletop... Oh gosh, that's how that works. That is what you show up to. The tabletop. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I legitimately was thinking, like, tabletop games. Like, the genre. So if you show let's, up at the... Let's at just the... continue. Let's pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Evan. Um, no, but if you show up at the table and you're not willing to put that effort in, you're going to get out as much as you put in. And not only that, it's almost... It's almost it degrades the experience for other people sometimes. I, drawing back on my time as a player, we played Pathfinder for so long with a person who didn't want to put in the effort to play the game. And we, the problem was for us, we wanted that person there. And it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily, the problem wasn't that this person didn't want to put the effort in. It was more that we wanted this person there so badly 
but it lessened the experience of the game. And you know what? Eventually, we just kind of moved on from it. We just accepted that this person was not going to put in the same effort as everyone else at the table, and that was going to be okay. And I think that this is another thing that, like, you have to understand when you come to the tabletop table is that not everyone is going to put in the same effort as you. Like, and I love this person, um, but they just decided that they weren't really interested in playing D&D. And I almost feel bad because I feel like me constantly asking them how I could engage them more at the table made them feel like they were the person in the wrong. It's it's interesting how he has the audacity to talk about me like this when I'm <laughs> sitting right here. I am not talking about you, Evan. I can't believe you think I'm talking about you. No, I, I think... I don't know. I think having different expectations is of the game is something that's pretty common. And I think in that situation, I think it was a lot of that that person coming to the table and knowing exactly what they wanted to get out of the game. And they got it. And you weren't watching them get what you got out of the game. And so <laughs> you you were like worried about that. I was shocked. And everything was okay. Everything was fine. It's just, it's about, I don't know, not everyone's going to experience the game the same way and that's that's fine it's not a problem basically i'm a bad role player and a bad bad person person. fundamentally and just horrible (laughs) very black and white in the way that you view the world exactly very black and white (laughs) clearly yeah you'd you'd snap a necromancer's staff if you came across one um if i came across if i came across a necromancer's staff in real life i have no idea what i would do i feel like i would probably run away just run (laughs) just like be like nope get this thing away from me (laughs) so just circling back Mm -hmm. to the idea of stepping into someone else i'm just curious because you guys have played for so long who is your favorite character that you've ever played do you want to go first um for me it's really easy like i have played i've played for quite a while but i haven't played a lot of characters i yeah like i i think my favorite character if i were to have to pick one out of all the ones that i've played would be kine he's the paladin war priest that i played that i've already mentioned but Every character that I've ever played has been something that's cool to me. The only reason Kine is my favorite is because it's the only one that I've actually gotten to feel change. Mm-hmm. It's the like only you've one gone that, through an arc with him. It's, exactly. It's the only one that I actually got to move with, and I feel like I as a person and that character grew playing that game. So that would be why Kine would be my favorite. But, like, for example, I, I have this other character that I play. It's called... A, it's, his, it's, his, his name is Walter. I love Walter. Walter's great. Walter is not like me in in that, like, Walter is slow and he thinks before he acts. He's very... Yeah, he's very, so not like you. Exactly. No, he's very methodical <laughs> and, and I would say tactically smart. And this is something that, like, for me, I love trying to step into that and think that way about a character who would think, how would I approach this situation and not be headfirst? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Which is not what you expect when you meet him because he's a minotaur. But do you know what I mean? Like, oh, is this your is this your water buffalo yeah, guy? Yeah, yeah. You sent me a picture of the the mini for him, and I had no idea it was attached to a character you were playing. No, yeah, this is a. I have the mini in the other room actually. Oh, that's really cool. Um, I actually <laughs> shout out. I just want to give a shout out. There's a this. I play this group with some people on on campus, and they just launched a podcast where they talk a little bit about D&D and their interests, um, you might want to check it out. It's called Imaginary Friends. 
Anyways, yeah, that's but great. like I, I think my favorite would be kind because it's the one that I have experienced growth with. Mm-hmm. I felt like the world that my character was in changed that character, and I loved it. I, I, I just, oh, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just get so uh, happy. <laughs> what about you, Evan? Who's your favorite character that you um, played? I've had kind of a similar experience where the time that I've put into the character has really made a big difference. Seeing the the changes that they go through is a huge part of it. It's a chance to make decisions as that other person that you're pretending to be. But at the same time... I know it's, what you're going to say. Yeah. It's also a chance to like double down on the person that they already were. It's a chance to explore them more and understand them better. It's, I don't know. Uh, Farron is, is this character that I've been playing for, uh, I think two or three years now. And he started out as an attempt to make a character who was not cool, who was <laughs> not like, All of his family were still alive. He had no real reason to go away from home other than, like, an interest in seeing what was out there in the world. And he he was the first character that I made where I didn't have a clear idea of where he was going. It was just that he was okay with making mistakes, and I was okay with making mistakes with him. And he has, for me at least, really flourished into a really deep uh figure i think i want to i want to say this right i i think he to a certain extent helped me confront a fear of death that i had he was a a pacifist going into the game and he had this sense in a world that is so much about combat and fighting physically against the forces of evil and destroying other things he had this idea that destruction killing was inherently wrong no matter who was dying it was a bad thing and he went out into the world saw the the hurt that was being done and was able to help people and then this character's father died our dungeon master we had a a one-off session where it was just me and this dm sitting down across from each other at a table and it was brilliant it was unbelievable because i i think you'll agree that this guy who's running uh the games for us is absolutely phenomenal he's really really good at diving deep into the world that he's created but he he gets us he gets what motivates us and so he didn't he didn't kill off Farron's father Farron's father died in this world of natural causes and Farron went home and found out for one reason or another that he wasn't able to go to the funeral and it was there was a whole bunch of other things going on around that but that fundamental human moment in the center of this fantasy world really hit me hard and I I like I I cried in that game because it was such a a, a, a moment of feeling I don't know uh, 
I did not know what you were going to say. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was coming to accept that fictional reality made it easier for me to come to terms with my own fear of myself dying, my own fear of loved ones dying, and that, more than anything, is why I'm such a, a big proponent of this, this game, because of that empathy uh, for a, a person who's not real, but who is still a part of you, mm-hmm. like you said. You know, yeah. I am so, I thank you for sharing, first mm. of all. Mm-hmm. I, you never told me that. I think I was pretty vocal about my one-one-one session with him, mm-hmm. where my character lost an arm and had to deal with that for the rest of the entire campaign. And that was something that I never saw as an obstacle, but I almost wish, and that's because mechanically in the game, our DM, because he knew what I wanted at the mm-hmm. time, he knew, he was like, I lost the arm. Mechanically, he was like, do you want to make any changes to your class so that you don't feel hindered by this arm? And I immediately said yes, because I didn't want to be hindered in this game. Like I said, I Mm -hmm. went into this game wanting to feel not broken. I wanted to feel strong. And that character ended up where, and I I grew for a love of this. I went into playing this character and I, I was absolutely, and I still am really about optimization of characters. Like I love creating characters that feel optimized. But Kine, in the end, was not an optimized character because I was learning how to play the game. I didn't know how to optimize them. So I realized at the end of it that he felt so much more fun because he was weak at times. Mm-hmm. And you know, I what I thought you were going to say... Okay. And this is one thing about, that, about Kine that makes him such a fun character. What I thought you were going to say is the relationships that that character has with the characters around them. Mm. Because that is another thing that really made Kine more fun to me. Was not only did my character grow, but I got to literally experience through Kine other people's growth. And that's my favorite part of Critical Role, is seeing how the characters interact with each other and how their relationships grow. Have you guys talked about Critical Role in the past? Uh, sort of. I've recommended it one time. Sure. We haven't gone like in-depth, but mm-hmm. um, just as a reminder, Critical Role is a D&D game run by Matt Mercer that you can watch on youtube i think you can watch, you can watch it on everything. twitch on thursdays <laughs> well yeah it's live on thursdays and it's also a podcast that you can listen to which is what i do but that's my favorite part of critical role is seeing how everyone interacts with each other and how everyone grows in their relationships mm-hmm. i love that yeah you know i guess i want to follow up with you do you have a favorite character um and if you do that i've played yeah and and why do you yeah not 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 on critical role but like on i do on critical role <laughs> um and if you do have a favorite character so far, why, what made that character, uh, I guess, interesting to you? What made that character your favorite? I do have a favorite character that I played. Uh, it was Genesis from Odyssey of the Dragon Lords. Mm-hmm. And I think it was because she is the character, like you guys kind of mentioned this already. She's the character that I put the most into. Like yes. I put the most effort into her. I put so much thought into her personality, into her backstory, into what she wanted out of life. And I put the most into her in terms of role-playing, which was really fun for me. Like, Mm. I just, I'm really attached to her. And that's why I want to go back and play that campaign because I want to see how she grows. Like, I want to be able to experience that because I've never played a game long enough 
for my character to really change. <laughs> mm. So I hope that in the new campaign, because you actually earlier today, you just set up a new character that you actually did put effort into mm -hmm. for this campaign. I hope that you do, I guess, feel something yeah. with that. Um, and so far, you guys haven't said anything about this character. <laughs> Are you trying to keep her under wraps, them under wraps? No, I'm not really. Yeah. No. no. I'm I... curious. I'm very interested. Who is this person? Okay, so her, she is a paladin. Mm -hmm. She's a watcher, which means... <laughs> what? I literally, every time we say she's a watcher, or not she, but when it, when I because of earlier... There's literally this dumb joke on the show. It's like this movie oh, called Identity Thief God. where there's the scene where this character walks in and he's like, are you a watcher? And he's like doing like weird stuff. Uh, we don't need to bring that in. Yeah, it. I'm sorry. I just I had to explain why I laughed. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so she's a paladin. Oh, wait. No, no, no. Now I don't want to hear about your character. Now I want to hear about Identity Thief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who cares? No, I'm joking. Keep um, going. Her name is Torvi. Mm -hmm. She is a, a, she's a very strong orc. Okay. And I don't know if I want to give away a lot. Okay. No, no, no. Keep you it. Don't, keep you it don't need to know what I'm her curious. personality is, but. But I can wait. Yeah. That's yeah, you that's will find the out basics. next Sunday. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. So we should probably wrap up because we've been talking for almost an hour and a half. Yeah. Which is crazy. Um, thank you for sharing that story about Absolutely. Farron. Yeah. Like, I think that story really embodies everything that we've been talking about, about D&D, about mm. why we like it so much and why it's such a good game. Like, I just, that exemplifies it. You yeah. look like you're going to cry. I, I gotta say, Evan, I know I've shared this with you before, but I, I really envy you and your experience with D&D because I, w I wish I was as good of a player as you, and I wish I was oh, as good yeah. of a DM as Dawson, and I wish... Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I feel like I, I literally, you and Dawson are the people that I compare myself to. Dawson is the, the DM who made me cry. Yes. Uh, Good yeah. going, Dawson. Yeah, he's, thanks, Dawson. He's a great guy. Um, but you and Dawson are the people I compare myself to when it comes to what I aspire to do mm. when I DM or when I play. And you guys were the reason that I started taking Pathfinder seriously. I think I showed mm. up and I had a really... Like I said, I was all about min-maxing, and I was all about making it really optimized, and I wanted good loot, and I wanted to play a video game. But you guys were the people that showed me that it could be empathy and story. So I really want to thank you, and thank you for coming well, on the podcast. I really appreciate that. Thank you. No, it, That it, means a lot. It means a lot to me, and then I thank you, I thank you so much. <laughs> so, let's get to recommendations of the week. Evan, as our guest, you can go first. Okay. I brought a couple of tabletop role-playing game recommendations, just because I figured it would be fitting considering what we're talking about mm -hmm. um i've got two uh the first is a game called uh myth ender by ryan macklin it's a game about killing gods and uh there's a a little forward in this book from will wheaton who uh apparently played this game at one point and they set out to kill santa claus <laughs> and it's it's a really funny introduction it's it's will wheaton he's a pretty entertaining human being and the the 
part that really stood out to me is that at the end of the game that he played, there was this emptiness. There was a sense that even though all of the characters that they were playing in this game had a really good reason to set out to kill a god, a mythical figure, something large and powerful and, and I don't know, that has that, all that strength to it, all that influence in the world. They all had good reasons to go after Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> can let that sink in. Um, they, there was this like sense of loss at the end of it. Um, and I think I've never played the game. I'm really interested to try it sometime, though, and... Yeah. My other one is uh, a game called Edrigor, uh, which is by Alan Turner. It's a really interesting game because it's one of the few tabletop RPGs penned by a uh, First Nations uh, writer or uh, Native American. I don't know what they call them, uh, those groups down in the States, but he wanted a world that wasn't so eurocentric wasn't mm-hmm. so westernized and so mm-hmm. he made one that is it's post-apocalyptic so it's very much about this idea of uh survivance and and moving on after your your culture and your world has been just obliterated but it's also a very hopeful game because there's a lot to it that's about combating combating depression and combating trauma that you have an an emotional measurement of how much damage you've taken as well as a physical measurement of it and i think that that is a, a really interesting concept and it's not really something that's represented or handled very well in dungeons and dragons like yeah. a lot of the like madness systems that have been uh, introduced in D&D and Pathfinder are super vague or nebulous or really insensitive to actual concerns about mental health and don't really represent a, a, a modern understanding of mental health. Mm. Um, they're, they're dated and problematic and calling them out is hardly a, hardly an issue for that reason. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious about this game as well because I think it handles that in a, a new way. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. I'm really interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's not often that, like, Orin and I kind of were talking about this last week. It's not often that, first of all, you get good representation in games. Yes. Like, everything is very Eurocentric all the time. And also, it's interesting to find games that explore harder issues like that. Yes. Because that's not something that happens a lot in the For gaming sure. world either. Yeah. So I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. What's your recommendation, Orin? Uh, my recommendation this week is maybe harping off the fact that I just kind of shared that I always feel like I need to be better and I always compare myself as a DM to our previous DM and I always compare myself as a player to Evan because I I hold these people with great regard. I want to recommend some maybe sources that I use often. So the one of the first sources that I ever started using to learn about Pathfinder as a system was something called Dawn Forged Cast. This is a YouTube channel where the guy, I believe he runs streams. I've never watched his streams. I simply watched his tutorials on how to look at role-playing and how to look at running a game. Running a game and role-playing. Both of them. I use them quite often, or I used him quite often. Lately, my go-to source from this has been a channel called Monarch's Factory. I love this woman so much. The way that she talks about... Sorry, babe. (laughs) No, but the way that she talks about 
what it what the end goal of being a DM is in that in the idea that you're trying to evoke an emotion and how do you evoke an emotion and how do you create things in your D&D world that feel real at least to the players and evoke that she really I think she gets it. I think she gets how to do that, and I really enjoy her videos because of that. I actually picked up my phone to look her up in case you didn't mention her as one of the Absolutely. resources. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, Monarchs Factory is... I, I've been really, really enjoying her so far. And then the following two, this one is a little bit, I think, more obscure. His name is Mr. Rex. He does videos... Uh, essentially, they're just... He compiles lore in old D&D editions that aren't in 5th edition and kind of talks about the expansion of, like, for example, if you ever wanted to know what exactly it means for a dragon to be born, uh, to grow up, how they create their fire, why they're magical, just like he talks about stuff that I think is really fascinating. Um, so I use this as a source as a DM to maybe start brainstorming and thinking deeper about the things in the world and why they are the way they are. Because I think on, oftentimes I take for granted that things, and I just accept that maybe that's just the way a monster is and there doesn't have to be an explanation for it. Um, and there rarely does need to be. Um, but I just, I just find it interesting. So you might guys, you might find it interesting as well. And then the third one that I have also been watching, these videos are a little bit more comedic, but I also think there is a grain of truth to them. Um, I've been watching a lot of videos by a channel called XB to level three, as well as a channel called RuneSmith. I believe these people know each other in real life and help each other record their videos. RuneSmith is just kind of like, it's kind of like Mr. Rex, except he takes a much more comedic tone with it. So if you're looking to laugh about D&D, maybe look this up. XP to level three also does a comedic tone, but more about how to run games and less about aspects of the games. And yeah, I can second all of those. What is your recommendation this week, Brenna? I'm going to recommend that people go out and try D&D. Okay. If you've never tried D&D, just go out and see if you can find someone you know who plays and give it a go. Even if you don't think you'll like it, you might like it. Because mm -hmm. I did not think I was going to like it, but I do enjoy playing. Yeah. Awesome. Amen. Thank you for listening to episode 19 of The Hobby Shelf. We hope you enjoyed it, and we would greatly appreciate it if you would click that subscribe button and leave us a review so that we can be found by other people on these platforms. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Hobby Shelf, or you can send us an email at thehobbyshelfpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us at brennadaviesediting.com slash thehobbyshelf. All the books and games we mentioned will be in the show notes along with our recommendations. We are grateful to record this podcast on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Sutina, the Stony Nakoda Nation, the Métis Nations of Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta, where we live, play, and work. Listen to our next episode, which comes out just before Valentine's Day, so we're going to talk about romance. <laughs> and remember, keep expanding your shelf.